There is a battle that we're in every day. Every single day that you and I wake up, every day that we live, we're in a battle. It wages every day. It's a war inside. There's a supernatural battle for the souls of men that is play at play out there. But there's a battle right here. There's a battle on the inside. It's a battle between the flesh and the spirit, between the, 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 the flesh person that you are and the spirit man that the Lord has made you. And we face it every day. And that's why the scriptures teach us to crucify the flesh occasionally. No, daily. Crucify the flesh daily because it's a battle that wages every single moment and we've got to crucify the flesh. Now, here in Genesis 25, we're going to be looking at the birth of two boys, twins. Twin boys. Wow. That'll change your life real quick as a mother. And it changed the world. And it's kind of a picture for us of the struggle. Because these boys grew for nine months in utero inside of Rebecca. And in a way, it's a picture of the battle that wages between us. Because you have Jacob who becomes a picture of the, he's the one that becomes Israel. He becomes the one that's the father of the 12 tribes. And then, of course, you have Esau who kind of goes the other direction and kind of, uh, as we'll see tonight, sells his birthright. So we want to take a look at the passage and see how we can face this battle every day, how, how we can overcome. Tonight in our passage, we'll deal with this. We'll deal with the birth order. Birth order, that's a big issue. We'll deal with the birth order and we'll deal with this, how to prefer spirit over flesh, how to prefer spirit over flesh. And then last, we'll see how not to despise our birthright in the kingdom. So let's take a look at this passage tonight and look at the war inside. First, if you're taking notes, deal with the birth order. Let's pick it up, verse 12 of Genesis 25. It says this, now this is the genealogy of Ishmael, Abram's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian Sarah's maidservant bore to Abraham. And these were the names of the sons of Ishmael by their names according to their generations. The firstborn of Ishmael, Nebajoth, then Kedar, Abdil, Mibzam, Mishma, Duma, Massa, Hadar, Tima, Jatur, Nephish, and Kedemah. These were the sons of Ishmael, and these were their names by their towns and their settlements, 12 princes according to their nations. And these were the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. And he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. And they dwelt from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt, as, as you go towards Assyria. And he died in the presence of all of his brothers. And this is the genealogy of Isaac. Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian, of Padon Aram, and the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife, because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea. 
and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, and he was like a hairy garment all over, and so they called his name Esau. And afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his, ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. We've got to deal with the birth order. If you're going to deal with the war inside, you've got to come to grips with the birth order. And we'll get to that. This passage gives us two genealogies. It gives us the genealogy of Ishmael. It shows us, one of the things it shows us that God's promise, you know, God did make a promise to the seed of Abraham. And Ishmael is the seed of Abraham. He's not the promised seed, but he is the seed. And in that passage, we discovered a few chapters ago that God did make a promise to Ishmael that he would be a nation as well. And, and so it shows us that God's promise to Ishmael is true as well, because he gave birth, well, he didn't give birth, but he fathered 12 sons that became 12 princes, and, and they became a mighty nation. And so, you know, it, you see it all around that God's promises are sure, amen? God's promises are sure. He's a promise keeper. We've been talking about that all the way through Genesis. If God makes a promise, he's going, to, he's going to keep it. And when he makes a promise, of course, when he signed the covenant with Abraham, remember Abraham was half asleep in a stupor. I mean, here he was groggy looking over and going, oh, what's going on? It was the Lord signing the, the Abrahamic covenant with himself. In fact, the writer in the, Old Test, in the New Testament tells us that he, God looked for somebody to swear by, and there was no one greater, so he swore by himself. He made the covenant with himself, and so it's, it's just rock solid, the promises of God. And then this passage, it tells us about Isaac's genealogy. But there was just one problem when it came to Isaac's genealogy with Rebekah. Like her mother-in-law, Sarah, Rebekah is also barren. How do we know Sarah was barren? How do we know that it wasn't Abraham's fault? Well, we just found out in the last study that Abraham fathered, well, he fathered Ishmael already by Hagar, and he fathered a bunch of other sons with his wife after Sarah died. And so, for whatever reason, Sarah was barren, but God worked that out and gave them Isaac. And now Isaac marries Rebekah, and she turns out to be barren as well. And what does Isaac do? He pleads with God about this. And it teaches us that we need to, 
we need to take our burdens to the Lord. When we're dealing with a situation and when we're face-to-face with something going on in our lives, we need to take it to the Lord. And why? Because God can deal with it. God can do something about it. God can intervene in a situation in a second. He can intervene in your situation. It might seem tough. It might seem like, oh, this will never turn around. Guess what? God can turn it around. Don't stop believing. Don't stop trusting God when it comes to that. So Isaac pleads with God about this. He prayed. Shows us that Isaac had a relationship with God. We learned that too because he was the one that was out meditating in the field when Eleazar showed up with Rebekah, his wife. And she said, who's the man in the field? And sure enough, it was Isaac. And, and of course, they were married. So Isaac had a relationship with the Lord and God granted his request and Rebekah became pregnant. But then there was something else going on. <laughs> she became pregnant and there was something else going on inside there are normal there are things that are normal in pregnancy right i mean when you ladies i mean i've watched my wife she's had three pregnancies so i've seen this in action you know the baby begins to grow inside and begins to move around a little bit oh hey Connie, come fill this come and fill this something was going on out of the ordinary with rebecca I mean, there was like a a wrestling match inside of there. And she says, man, if all is well, then why is it like this? What's going on? What's going on? She began to feel this. And the text tells us there that she inquired of the Lord. Look at that. I want to read that to you because I want to take you there. Look down at verse 22. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, if all is well, then why am I like this? Listen to this. So she went to inquire of the Lord. And I want to read this, the next verse there, 23. And the Lord said to her, the Lord said to her. So she inquired of the Lord and the Lord said to her. Now, I want to tell, I want to tell you something tonight that what we just read in the scriptures is the pattern that we see all the way through the Bible from beginning to end. And if you don't understand this, you probably have very little understanding in the scriptures whatsoever. If you don't realize that the Lord speaks to people, that people come and hear from the Lord, that the Lord speaks to people. And yes, Joy Behar, I'm here to tell you that if you'll read the scripture and if you knew anything about what the Bible says, 66 books full of it, that everybody had a relationship with the Lord that the the Bible writes about and they heard from the Lord. The Lord came and visited them. They went to inquire in the temple. David went to inquire of the Lord. Everybody goes to inquire of the Lord. The prophets had face-to-face relationship with the Lord. This is what... to, to, to not understand this is to literally be completely devoid of any information about the scriptures whatsoever. And this is something that is understood. You just got to pick it up. You just got to pick up the Bible, start reading it from Genesis chapter 1, and you'll see that the Lord has a relationship with people He talks with them. Amen. Amen. 
So it's, it's, it's just amazing. And no, it's not brain damage. It's not brain uh, mental illness. It's not. It's the Lord. The Lord speaks to us. He speaks to us through his word, and he speaks by his Holy Spirit to us. And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord spoke to her regarding the sons within her womb, verse 23. And the Lord said to her that there are two nations in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So, wow, what? You just, want, you just wanted some medical advice. <laughs> you wanted to find out what was going on with your body. And the Lord says, you got two nations inside there. You got two things going on in there. It's a battle royale, you know. And so it would, the, the twins, the twins would each father nations. One shall be greater than the other, and the younger will be greater than the older. What we saw earlier in, uh, in, in, in Genesis was we saw, we saw, we began to saw, see a pattern where the firstborn wasn't always the preferred. Now, in the culture at large, there was this idea, and the, the idea of the firstborn. The firstborn had a birthright. The firstborn had a place, it was kind of a prestigious place within the family. But the Lord has a way of kind of sometimes preferring the secondborn. And, and so we saw that already because Ishmael was the firstborn of Abraham, but he wasn't the firstborn according to the promise of God. And so God preferred Isaac. And now Isaac and Rebekah, Rebecca's pregnant, and they're twins. And now we're seeing that the Lord is telling her, giving her this prophecy about the boys, uh, and that, that the younger is going to be stronger than the, the older, and the, the older would serve the younger. And, and this was kind of, you know, kind of a different thing than, than the culture, than what you had, this idea of the firstborn. And it's the same with us. You say, how? Well, if you're a Christian here tonight, you've had two births, right? You've first been born physically, right? You were born, your mom gave birth to you, and hello world, right? But then when you gave your life to the, to the Lord, when you surrendered your life to Christ, when you confessed Jesus as Lord, you believed upon the resurrection that God had raised the son Jesus from the dead, you, something happened, and it's what Jesus spoke of in John chapter three. You became born again. You were born from above. You were born not by the will of a man and a woman coming together, but you were born according to the will of the Lord in heaven, the Father. And so in that sense, it was a second birth. So you had a first birth and you had a second birth. And the Lord is super excited about your first birth, but he's really jazzed about your second birth. And you need to really have that same kind of look at it. And one of the ways we're going to win the war inside the battle that we face every day is if we do like God and prefer the second born over the first born. Amen. 
before, we need to prefer the spirit man over the flesh man. Now, it's not to say that your flesh born person doesn't have legitimate needs. You have legitimate needs, and God is on the lookout for those legitimate needs. But we need to prefer the, the, the spirit man. We have an inner man. We have the spirit man. And so it's spirit over the flesh. And we see this here, spirit over the flesh. We need to prefer and nurture our spirit man more than the flesh. We need to see ourselves as spiritual people. Yes. What, if, what would our lives look like if we were more in tune with the fact that we were spiritual people than we were in tune with the fact that we're physical people? What would it look like if we were more aware that we are spiritual, a spiritual person than we were aware that we are a physical person? We need to be aware. We need to prefer the spirit man over the physical man. And we saw this in our study Wednesday night. For those of us that were here, and we'll, like Chris said, we're going to try to get that podcast up, up on the thing very soon. But I referenced a verse in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Verse 7, I'll actually have it on the screen tonight. And this is where Paul told Timothy, he says, Discipline yourselves for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of a little profit. But godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. In a way, you could say that Paul is kind of dealing with the two births here. You have the physical life and you have the spiritual life. And he's actually talking about discipline. He's talking about one uh, uh, translation, I think, actually, uh, you may even use the word uh, bodily exercise or something along those lines. Bodily uh, discipline, physical discipline is important. Nobody's denying that. He's saying that there is, a, there is a value to it. But he says it is not to be preferred over the godliness, the godly discipline that you need to to point your life towards because godliness godly discipline has a benefit for this world and the world to come and so when we prefer the second born over the firstborn, when we prefer the flesh the spirit over the flesh it's important and this is a key to us overcoming in our spiritual life so what we see here is the the boys are born. Let's go back to the text here. So verse 24, so when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, and he was like a hairy garment all over, so they called him Esau. And afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. So we have here the, the birth of the boys. The promise, the prophecy that was given to Rebecca is now seen in a way actually physically played out in the birth of the boys. The Esau uh, was born, the first twin was born, and he came out red, hairy like a garment, but red. And so they called him Esau. It's actually a play on words with it's actually, Esau is actually kind of, you have the idea of red in the, the word Esau and also Edom. He becomes the father of the Edomites 
and there's the idea of red, and red kind of plays into uh, everything about Esau, from his name to the people that he, and the city that becomes known uh, for his descendants, and also, as we get to later in the chapter tonight, to the, even the stew, the stew that Jacob is making. So Esau was red, and he became the father of the Edomites. Jacob's name referred to the way that he was born, holding on to the heel of his brother. Uh, literally, the, 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 the form of the name uh, can actually be translated heel catcher, or as he's grabbing on to the heel of, of his brother. Uh, in some other commentaries, I read that the, the, there was an idea uh, it could have actually been as simple as this, that this, the, the, the one that would come after someone else was kind of, was, is always kind of that heel catcher, trying to catch up, trying to, 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 to move into that position. So, so that idea uh, you know, has, has some play there too. But the Lord told Rebecca that there were two nations in her womb. Two nations. And you see these two boys that are born and the two nations that become of them and you see it even as from their birth and as from the men that they become and as the nations are, are birthed from them. And so you can see by the choices that are made all the way through their lives that God is preferring the second born, that he's preferring the second born. We're going to get to the time when Jacob um, actually literally wrestles with the Lord. And, you know, the Lord touches his hip and the Lord changes his name. And, and there's this whole idea of that Jacob is the one that's kind of wrestling with the Lord. He's, he's kind of, you know, trying to, trying to struggle with the Lord, so to speak. And it's the people that, that are the spiritual ones, the people that have been given spiritual life are the ones of us that have to kind of to go through life. Sometimes we just kind of wrestle with the Lord. We struggle with the Lord. We hold on to him until he blesses us. That's what Jacob did. Esau went and did and went and did all kinds of different stuff. And so God chose the younger over the older one. And in the, in the book of Romans, the apostle Paul uses this choice of Jacob over Esau before their birth as an illustration of God's sovereign choice. You read that in Romans 9, 10, and 11, but specifically Paul zeroes down on this idea of God's sovereignty and his election and his choice. It, the idea is that God foreknew, he foreknew the, the twins, right? He foreknew them in Rebekah's womb, just as he would later tell Jeremiah, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you, right? So he knows, and he knows all of our days before one of them comes to pass. So he has that foreknowledge. And so in his foreknowledge and sovereignty, he prefers the, the one that would choose to wrestle with him, the one that would choose to struggle with him. So we've got to deal with the birth order. 
One, if you're going to continue on with the Lord, if you're going to continue in faith, if you're going to be an overcomer, if you're going to win the battle between flesh and spirit in your life, you've got to deal with the birth order. And let me put it to this way one more time. You've got to prefer the second born. You've got to prefer the second born just like the Lord did in this situation. Because you're going to get a new body anyways. This one's going bye-bye. <laughs> so we might as well prefer the second born. Amen? Uh, second point tonight, don't despise your birthright. Let's pick it back up, verse 29 of Genesis 25. Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with the same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank and arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So we've got to deal with the birth order. You're going to win the, the, the war inside. You've got to deal with the birth order. You've got to prefer the second born. Prefer the spirit over the flesh. Secondly, you don't despise your, your birthright. You have a birthright in the kingdom. You've been born into the kingdom of heaven as a son or a daughter. And that comes with tremendous uh, honor. It comes with tremendous privilege. It comes with tremendous responsibility. And so don't despise your birthright. Don't forget about it. Don't take it for granted. This is the lesson. The final section that we're looking at, well, backing up to the previous passage that we read, we're told, we're given this little hint into the character of the guys, right? Jacob was a man of the tents. Let's go back and read it. Verse 27. So the boys grew and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, just quick comment on verse 28. Isaac loved Esau, you know, he went out and hunted. And literally in the Hebrew, he, he, he liked his game, it's... The idea in the Hebrew is literally the meat was in his mouth. The meat was in Isaac's mouth. I mean, he, he, that, that's what it's saying. So he liked the, what, what Esau did in that regard. But Rebekah, like Jacob, he dwelt in the tents. He was a mild-mannered man in that sense, not one to go out in the field hunting. And, uh, and so you can see the differences there. Now, I, just did, I did want to say one thing about that, that we have to be careful as parents. Uh, that we don't prefer a child over the others. Um, that we need to be very careful when it comes to this. And sometimes, you know, life plays out and there's different personalities and all that. And I understand all that. But as parents, we're, we, have, we do have a responsibility uh, to not get into a situation like this. And I think this plays out as you go through the story, as we go through the chapters, we're going to see where what that verse that we just read actually kind of plays out in the whole scenario uh, as it develops, okay? 
So we'll be coming back to that idea as we go, go through. But back to this idea that, that Esau was a skillful hunter and Jacob was a man of the tents. He was, in that sense, he was an inside man. He, Esau was the outdoorsy type. You know the type, always going camping and hiking. You know, I don't know the, I know some of these people. I'm not of these people. <clears throat> I'm, I'm not of these people. I have, fa- I have friends, I have family members that are campers and hikers, and I don't get it. Why would you go out into the cold and, and, and put up a cloth and with a pole and sleep like that when you've got a comfortable bed at home, you know, and a climate control, you know? <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm more like Jacob. I have a son named Jacob, and I'm more like Jacob. I'm a man of the inside. My idea of camping is a Marriott resort on the beach. Amen? Although I am here to tell you that I have hiked. I have hiked. Now, if you, if you can say that you've hiked, no one ever says how far. I was just in southern Utah at Zion National Park. We got out of the car. We parked it in the parking lot. We walked down the path, down the rocks, and into a valley. We looked around. We read some scripture. And then we walked back up. We hiked Zion. Amen? (laughs) No one can take it away from us. No one ever, if, you, if I said I hiked Zion, no one says, well, how far? <laughs> I went down into the valley. I climbed down on top of a couple of rocks. <clears throat> so that's it. So Jacob's a man of the tents. Jacob's a man of the tents. Esau is a hunter. He's a man of the field. So we have this occasion that Esau came in from, he came in from the field hungry. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with the same red stew. There's that word red. His name had to do with red because he came out red. He came out red and hairy. And here he is wanting red stew. And he became the father of the Edomites, which actually has the idea of red. So he, he, he comes in from the field. He says, please feed me with the same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm I'm going to die. So what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me this day. So he swore to him and he sold his birthright to Jacob. Jacob knew something. Now, before we get into exactly what was going on, because there's been, I've known this story since I was a little boy in Sunday school. I've heard this story. He sold his... He sold his birthright, this supposedly valuable thing, for a bowl of soup? This doesn't even make sense, does it? Okay, before we get into that, okay, Jacob knew about the birthright. Jacob knew that the birthright was valuable and that he wanted it. There are passages later that tell us about the birthright. Deuteronomy 21, 1 Chronicles 5, 1 and 2, tell us that the birthright involved both a material and spiritual dynamic. The son of the birthright 
received a double portion of the inheritance, and he also became the head of the family and the spiritual leader upon the passing of the father. So there was a financial component, and there was a spiritual leadership component. It was, it was a big deal. It was a big deal. So, there's, so just with that, knowing that, there's got to be something going on over here um, that makes sense of all this, and we'll get into... It's, it, it, you could classify it as a conjecture, but anyways, we'll get to it in a second. Whatever it is, whatever the reason is, the, the word tells us that Esau despised his birthright, that he neglected it, that he looked down upon it, that he didn't value it. At that moment, he didn't value it. And he put the flesh over the things of the spirit in that sense. He even put the flesh over his own family because when he sold his birthright, the, the selling of that birthright on that particular occasion, on that particular day, had ramifications not just for him in that moment and his life and the rest of his life, but it had ramifications down throughout really history. And here we are tonight. So he put the flesh over even his own family because the birthright had implications for his offspring as well, but he didn't think about those things. And the writer of Hebrews tells us this. In Hebrews 12, verses 14 and 16, I've kind of put two verses together because there's an in-between verse. Um, anyways, you can read it in context, but this is what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12. You'll see it on the screen. Pursue peace with all people in holiness, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. And so he's, he's saying, you know, he's, he's actually calling Esau in that sense uh, common here, profane, someone who, who, who gave up his birthright, who did not consider uh, what was going on as far as his birthright and the ramifications for his family down the line. It brings up a question, and I do want to ask the question, at least I want to ask it, whether we come whether we come up with an answer tonight or not, but I do have a, I do have a suggestion, and you can take it or leave it, okay? Um, why did he do this? Why did Esau sell his birthright for a bowl of soup? It just doesn't seem, it's never sat well with me that it made any amount of sense uh, in terms of, you know, that anyone would do that knowing what the birthright was in the, in the Eastern ancient Near East culture. You know I've referenced, um, and I have stolen the term, extra-canonical, biblically-endorsed texts. Remember me talking about these? There are books that are not of the canon of Scripture, but they are mentioned in Scripture. They are leaned upon. Their historical record is appealed to in the text of Scripture. One of those books is Enoch in the New Testament by the likes of Peter and Jude and even Paul. And in the Old Testament, one of them is the book of Jasher. And it's the writer Joshua who appeals to the book of Jasher, Jasher's historicity in Joshua, in, in Joshua chapter 10 when he says, uh, it's in the, the setting of when Joshua prayed that the sun would stand still because they were in the battle. They were in this specific battle and, the, and, and it was long and they needed more time and, and, and Joshua prayed the sun would stand still. And 
Joshua says, yes, this happened. And just like it's written about in the book of Jasher. So the, the, the historical record of it was appealed to from the book of Jasher. Okay, so in the book of Jasher, if you actually read, read, sit down and read it, it's act, it is actually interesting. Um, it, it, and, and again, it is not a part of the canon of scripture. It's not a part of the 66 books of scripture. But if you read this particular account, in the book of Jasher, there's, there's actually a little bit more clarity on exactly why Esau sold his birthright to Jacob. And here it is, that Esau was a man of the field, he was a hunter, but he was also into all kinds of other stuff. And the text of Jasher tells us that Esau killed Nimrod. He had been out and he literally killed Nimrod. Now, I want to back up for a second. Remember, we, when you go through the genealogies, if you want to take the time, you can discover the overlap. Sometimes we move on from a person and we think like, oh, well, they were dead and gone and now we're in this person's era and whatever. But we discovered, uh, even when we were talking about Shem, that Shem was still alive all the way at the time when, uh, when Abraham was coming back from uh, the battle with the five kings to, to secure Lot back from having been taken hostage in that situation in Genesis 14. So there's some overlap that we're, that, we could, that we're not aware of because we're just kind of moving on in the story. And the way that the text of Genesis is written, it's, it's to communicate specific things and not necessarily to give you this kind of historical record. Oh, by the way, this person's still alive, this person's still alive, whatever. Okay, so we haven't seen Nimrod mentioned until since chapter 11, okay? But in the text of Jasher, he has killed Nimrod and he comes into the house and this is the setting where he is now thinking he's literally a dead man and that they are going to come and kill him. They're going to come and take him. And so his, the rest of his life actually in his mind at that minute has no value to him because he literally is considering himself a goner. And so he's like, I'm, a, I'm going to die. Just give me some of the red stew. And at that point, Jacob secures the, the, uh, the birthright and so on. So, <clears throat> you know, if you, you, you want to consider that, I think it's actually kind of an interesting thing. And yeah. it's, you know, if you look at the face value of the text of Genesis, there's something that kind of is definitely part of the story we don't have from Genesis because, you know, is, is he really selling his birthright just because he's tired and he was hunting deer all day? There's, there's, there's something that we're not told, and Jasher seems to, to give us a little bit of clarity there. But the, the, the reality of the story is that the, the thinking of the, the birthright of having no more value, what we do know from Genesis, what we do know from Genesis is that he didn't die, that Esau continued to live, with the ramifications that he had sold his birthright. And so what I think it can tell us tonight is it can tell us that, yeah, you have a birthright. You have, uh, you have things that have been 
given to you upon your entrance into the family. You've been given gifts. The Spirit has given you gifts. Don't despise the birthright. Don't despise the gifts. You've been given a place of honor. You've been given a place of responsibility. You've been made a priest and a king unto God. That, 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 that priesthood place of the firstborn, yeah, you've been made that priest and king alongside of Jesus as well. So, so, so there's something to this that you have been given. And Christian, if you're going to win the war inside and you're going to prefer the spirit over the flesh, you're going to prefer the secondborn over the firstborn, you need to also not despise the birthright as well, thinking in any moment, oh, well, my life's over, or that doesn't matter, or that has no ramification for me, because it does. There's significant things that happen by virtue of the decisions that we make on a day-to-day basis, and we cannot despise the birthright. We cannot despise the birthright. We've been born into the kingdom, and we should never forget what rights and privileges we have in the kingdom. Paul tells us this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. I'll have it on the screen. Screen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What's that? When you, when you became a part of the family, you were blessed with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. You've been given things, Christian. We've been blessed beyond measure. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 4.16, you're familiar with this one. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You've been given spiritual blessing. You've been given access to the Lord. You've been given direct access to the throne room of heaven. What's that? You can boldly approach the throne of mercy, the throne of grace, the the seat of God. You can boldly approach that you might obtain mercy and grace to find need in time of help. So you have every, you have every blessing and you have, every, you have all access. You have every blessing and an all access pass. To where? To the literal throne room of the universe? Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19, it's in the context of him talking about sexual immorality But he says this, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Like this, this, this isn't even yours anymore anyways, because you've been bought with a price. Don't you know, Corinthians? Don't you know, Floridians? Floridian Christians, don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Who's what? Your your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. What's that? Oh, I could pick a fight there, but I'll I'll move on. I already picked that fight. (laughs) What was the temple? The temple in the Old Testament was the, was, the, was the place, it had a room in it called the Holy of Holies. In that room was the place where they kept the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant had a seat on it, a lid on it that was called the mercy seat, where the, between the cherubim, God told Moses, I will meet you at the mercy seat between the cherubim. Where? At the throne of God. That's where I'm going to meet you. Where was that? At the tabernacle. When Solomon built the temple, they put it in the temple, and the Holy of Holies within the temple. 
So when Paul is writing to the Corinthian Christians, he's saying, don't you know that you, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? The, the seat, the, the throne of God is in you? Yeah. Yeah, Joy, it's, much, it's, it's, it's actually much more involved <laughs> than Jesus speaking to us. It actually is this, and I came up with this a few years ago, and I like to bring this out whenever I get to this passage, but if you are the temple, then you're a portable temple of the Holy Spirit. You're a, you're a, you're a temple walking around. Walking around in your house, down the hallways, you know, in the kitchen, in the cupboard, looking for a snack. Yeah, yeah, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, where are the, where are the raisins? You know, the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're a portable temple. Or as I like to call it, a mobile throne. <laughs> Everybody wants a mobile phone. Guess what? You're a mobile throne. You're the te- Don't you know, Floridians, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? And you are not your own. You've been bought at a price. So despising the birthright is literally forgetting everything that God has done in our lives. It's, forget- it's not to be remembering everything that the Lord's done, giving us every spiritual blessing, giving us direct access, literally making us his home and his putting his, he put his spirit on deposit with us. (laughs) Is the way Paul puts it in Ephesians 2, amen? And so it's not realizing that you're a son. Son? It's not realizing that you're a daughter, of the king, daughter. It's not realizing that you're a priest. What? Yeah. You bring a sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. Amen? Okay. <laughs> Went a little too long. <clears throat> Not realizing that you are his ambassadors, his ambassadors, his representatives. Amen? So we gotta rep- we've got to remember who we are, Christian. We're called to have a life, a life of order, a life, a, live a life to the full, as we learned a couple weeks ago, like Abraham did. And we're positioned to do what he's called to do because we've received every spiritual blessing. And so we've got to just prefer the second born over the first, not despising the birthright, not forgetting it, not putting it off, but living in the reality of that.